Welcome to the Early Link Podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Otto. Today, we're going to be talking about the impact of COVID-19 on Native American communities. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Jalene Joseph, who is Executive Director for the Native Wellness Institute and a partner with the Future Generations Collaborative, and Susie Kirchner, who is also a partner with the Future Generations Collaborative and serves as the Education Mode Coordinator. Jalene and Susie, welcome to the Early Link Podcast. Thanks for having us. We appreciate the opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to have you here today. I wanted to start with the Future Generations Collaborative, if you could tell me about the work that's happening with that group. And maybe, Susie, could you start us there? Sure. Well, it has been my privilege for, I think, I've been to about 11 years now in terms of the point at which there was community inspiration and responding thoughts about how we could, within the context of the community, kind of collaborate, come together, and in particular, be focused on generating, promoting, supporting the development of our families from a healthy perspective, a wellness perspective, and to do so that we recognize that because of historic trauma, and uh, that's inclusive of boarding and residential schools and all of the things that have you know, impacted our culture, our people, our health and welfare, and so then most certainly our families. We recognize at the heart of that, we have that which has been called and is clinically called fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but which really reflects its presence, the use of substances during particularly alcohol, which produces the only lifelong disability from drugs and alcohol. Anyway, that we could look at it in a non-stigmatic, really understand its presence, that it is an expression of the hurt and the pain, and that its presence can't carry with it shame, but rather an understanding of what is the opportunity, how can we address it? So what was really wonderful at the beginnings was organizations like NORA, NEA, well, NARA is the Native American Rehabilitation Association, National Indian Child Welfare Association, NEA, the Native Youth and Family Services, the Northwest Area Indian Health Board, uh, the Native Wellness Institute years or so later. And so we, but informing this, it was understood that we would not be an organization unto ourselves, but rather that really we demonstrate that collaborative and potential collective impact of everyone reciprocally, cooperatively, supportively working together to create a non-stigmatic, non-judgmental understanding of how fetal alcohol impacts all parts of life and all ages and stages. So that if, for instance, for you folks serving families of children zero to say eight, we understand that we may have some parents who are too. And so what can we do? How can we wrap around in a collaborative circle of care, a love, an understanding of healing and an understanding that is trauma-informed, but from not only the environmental trauma that has happened within our indigenous community, but also the neurotrauma then that has come from that which we have needed to do you know, to self-medicate. And there is a prophecy that sort of guided us in the beginning and continues to, which is to, among ourselves, is create that understanding that comes from that prophecy that there was a time, it was said that there was a time when there would be those who would come among us 
who would be different and look different. And in their differences, they would change the people. And so I'd really like to turn it over to Jolene to talk about how in so doing, we have recognized those folks who we identify as our elders and natural helpers who are really the community. I've given you a bunch of gobbledygook around sort of <laughs> expression of FASD. <laughs> but really what's important is what our, we've had the privilege of our community coming forward through GONAs and, and groups and, and forums and listening sessions that guided the direction of the FGC and then carried that knowledge and continues to grow in its carrying of knowledge through our elders and natural helpers. Well, Jolene, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that as well. And if you could tell us more about the Native Wellness Institute. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Susie. That was a great description. So the, the Future Generations Collaborative, we approach our work, we call it like in a, in a four-mode approach. So we have the education mode that Susie takes the lead on. We have an evaluation mode. We have a policy mode, and then we have a community engagement mode. And so myself and some of my colleagues at the Native Wellness Institute, we take the lead on the community engagement mode. And in that mode, we work with community members that we call elders and natural helpers. And they are um, what kind of like the eyes and the ears of the community. And they help us to do our engagement work by talking to people one-on-one, by helping to recruit people to attend our training and community outreach events. They help with, you know, facilitate those events and um, community outreach. And so it's a really unique, I feel it's a really unique uh, culturally specific model and that we're trying to provide services to our community members, you know, that might be impacted beyond the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder spectrum. And then of course we provide opportunities for healing as a way to prevent it as well. And so the work that I do with my organization, the Native Wellness Institute, we're based here in Oregon, Multnomah County, and we're a national nonprofit. I like to say social profit because we're benefiting society. I like that shift. Yeah, yeah. We're celebrating our 20th year. So this is our 20th anniversary, even though many of us that founded this organization have been doing this work for for many, many decades And we exist because of the lasting impacts of historical and intergenerational trauma and how that contributes to the contemporary trauma that we see in our communities today. And then more importantly, we exist to provide opportunities for healing and growth and development. And so we provide training and technical assistance in a variety of areas. And like everyone, our work has come to a screeching halt because of this pandemic. And so like the solution-oriented people that we are, we turned it around. Today, we're just finishing week two. Tomorrow, we'll start week three. We're doing these daily, what we're calling Native Wellness Power Hours. And so every day at noon Pacific time, we're offering an hour of programming. So workshops, storytelling, comedy, concerts, all sorts of things. And so that's been our response and contribution to the pandemic and just helping to bring uplifting messages and tools for people's well-being and uh, things like that during the pandemic. What else are you hearing from communities about needs? uh, What's urgent right now related to COVID-19 and what's happening across the state? Maybe a tremendous potential and opportunity, as I think I was saying earlier, for us to look at 
what can emerge as the strengths of nurturing families uh, in their bonding, their attachment, their closeness. And for me, what I always like to entitle, I mean, those are great words that we use around bonding attachment, but what it really means to me is the joy of being with your child, the joy of playing and learning together. And so one of the first things that I think we all saw as a potential takeaway was the ability at this time to help grow that within families, but at the same time recognize the tremendous anxiety, frustration, and just lack of, you know, predictability, et cetera, for families and what that can grow in a more challenging direction. And so how can we be in people's lives, whether it's through frequency of contact, through phone calls, but we're all doing a lot and having some really nice responses on a daily contact place, but then also maybe more importantly, and again, pick this up, Jillian, and run with that in terms of we've been developing a toolkit and all of us as team members representing not only those four modes that she framed, but also our elders and natural helpers and all the other, you know, folks that are contributing. So really collaboratively, truly in sort of the dream and vision of the beginnings of the FGC, for me as an old lady, what I'm getting to see is the gift of that collaboration at this time. And so for out of that, we've generated this toolkit that has activities, has specific COVID approaches, um, general family supports, and then sort of from a developmental perspective, things to do within each. And then that's why, as I say, for Jolene has really kind of been mistress of the technology of the visual, which is a really huge piece. So, yeah. And I think, um, the Native community here, the two main Native serving organizations, Naya and Nara, have been outstanding in the things that they've done for the Native community. And then within that, different programs, um, other agencies in the community have really stepped up to help reach the needs of the community. So that's just been beautiful. So, you know, online programming, culture nights, you know, things like that, everything going online. It has been really, really beautiful. I always say that we are trying to help our people realize that, you know, we are descendants of miracle survivors of genocide. We've been through pandemics before. And when we focus on and embrace that resiliency, that becomes a tool then to help us get through this. So we know that we're an already traumatized community and now here we are experiencing, you know, more trauma through this pandemic. So we're very mindful of that and, and very mindful of just checking in on one another and providing opportunities for continued healing and uh, continued opportunities for balance. And so some of the creative things that Future Generations Collaborative is doing is beginning next week, we're going to be starting some online support circles for women, for men, for two spirit, non-binary people and for young people. So just an opportunity for our community to come together online and just be together and share and offer encouragement or put a voice to what they might be experiencing. So that's one of the beautiful things about the Future Generations Collaborative. You know, as Susie said, we're not an organization. We're a collaborative of other agencies and individuals. And we're very creative and we're very solution-oriented so this is, you know, some of our efforts that we're offering our community. And the collaborative, could you say more about how widely it reaches? I know Multnomah County is involved, but 
how broad is the collaborative? Yeah, the metro area, sort of its first circle, so it wouldn't be just limited. One of the things that I didn't express at the beginning, I'm sort of embarrassed and ashamed, but you know, this wouldn't have happened without Multnomah County Public Health Department and their support in many ways as an infrastructure, but the support that Multnomah County commissioners gave us from the beginning and we were able to develop and deliver a proclamation for the countywide area so that it was really understood that it could in fact touch not only education, but housing and really importantly, justice. We've been able to do a lot of work with the community justice and then justice as a whole. So with that kind of platform that uh, have really enjoyed the benefit from over these last years with the Multnomah County, it has grown to the metropolitan to really be recognized and reaching out because our peoples, you know, are a mobile population sometimes. I mean, because we don't just represent the urban area, these folks, many of them, their homes are close at hand, you know, within Warm Springs is very close, but then certainly all of our, you know, Celettes and Coos and, and Grand Ron, very connected and supportive partner, which I also shouldn't have admitted at the beginning. And so what you bring up is that now we're in doing that and reaching through our tribal partnerships we are now really present throughout Oregon and we're all having the privilege of working with DHS as well as the Justice Department. And like yesterday, I was in a long conference meeting and then call with a variety of clients in both Coos and Douglas counties and shelter homes that we're reaching and, you know, not only sharing our toolkits, but kind of ways of supporting those settings. So it seems to be growing. And then, as I alluded to in our prior conversation, you know, looking at the stimulus package and what might be omitted, you know, then we are looking really at the federal level at that in terms of, okay, what can we as the FGC respond so that we can make sure that those services are not waived or eliminated? Then also there's a federal bill that will be really looking to not only support, but really help guide its deliverance and presence around fetal alcohol that will be, let's say it's going to be a federal bill. So I think we talk a lot in circles and we have a lot of people, Jolene, and then our project director, Brianna too, and all the modes that we sort of think as indigenous people, not in a linear, but in a circular way. So we have all of these concentric circle models, but they do kind of reflect that there is this core and at the heart of that core are the values and the commitments, the beliefs, the strengths and the beauties of our own indigenous Portland urban population. But in their generating of their good spirit and their good strengths of resilience, as Jolene was talking about, those are radiating out through service systems for our county metropolitan, then state, and then federal. I did want to go back to what you were talking about, Jolene, with this, you know, the role of historical trauma and historical resilience. And Susie, you brought it up again around indigenous values. And I wonder if you could just say more about that and how those intersect at this point in time. So historical trauma examples, you know, the boarding school, disease, massacres, all that sorts of things. And What I always make sure that people understand is, yes, we have those examples of historical trauma that contributes to the intergenerational trauma, that contributes to the contemporary trauma that we see and experience in our community today. 
And then we also have the good stuff that was passed down. That's that historical wisdom piece or the historical resiliency piece. We have the cultural values and we have the language. We have the songs and ceremonies. Even if we don't know what tribe we are or we think that that hasn't been passed down in our families, like it literally is within us. And our elders will call that blood memory. So, for example, my son, he's an avid hunter and a rifle hunter. And a couple of years ago, he wanted to learn how to bow hunt. And so I had a colleague, a friend of mine, who is a, an amazing bow hunter. He got to spend a week with him and to teach him. And I had another friend, a good family friend, teach him as well how to make his own bow as well as how to bow hunt. So during this pandemic, actually, he just finished his second traditional longbow. So he would also jump on YouTube and look at YouTube and learn. And then what I told him was, you know, just close your eyes and rely on the knowledge that's in your DNA and help that guide you as you're making this bow. And so he would save the sinew from his elk and he would make his own string out of the sinew. And it's just pretty amazing. And so that's an example of that historical resiliency that we all have. And the interesting part about it is that one of the lasting impacts of trauma is chronic negativity. One of the lasting impacts of trauma is also almost like being addicted to chaos. And this pandemic then very much like feeds into both of those, right? Sure. We can go down those negative rabbit holes or we can get into chaos. And, you know, next thing we know, we think we all have the virus. So being mindful of that. And when we find ourselves spinning out in that negativity or spinning out in that chaos, like to allow that to be the trigger that makes us pause and to step back and to do the deep breathing or reach out to a friend or get outside or have some movement, do something to turn that around. And so through all these efforts that we're doing with the Future Generations Collaborative, through my work at the Native Wellness Institute, we're trying to be very mindful of that and to help our people focus on the positive and have that hope and have that sense of resiliency. Susie, did you have something to add to that? Well, I think that was beautifully said. Uh, I think probably just maybe extending and reiterating that we have at the core, at the center of many of our traditional values is that caring, sharing, and respect. And those values grow compassion and care. And they are the strengths that, as Jolene was so well identifying, those are the things that move us forward in recognizing our beauties. One of the things that I often find myself saying to people that my grandmother taught me is that when we have that actually joyous privilege of participating in people's lives, we have the opportunity to hold up that mirror, that reflection of their beauty, because so many of our relatives, the hurt and the trauma is exactly what she says. It maps the negative. And so particularly when I have, get to work with families and with parents, you know, one of the first parenting activities that I want to do and like within these circles that we're create is I want to not, you know, yes, it's good to hear what everyone's challenges are, but let's look at what each other's beauties are. And we need to really practice as any people who have had oppression or hurt need to do is Let's look at what is right. What is that beauty? What is that goodness within ourselves that we can see? What can we tell each other? I'm always talking and doing community healing is let's grow good gossip. You know, we can say what we're noticing each other's doing wrong. Let's just turn that. 
Well, let's particularly turn that for our children. So when we take these stories and we bring them forward, let's hold up that mirror so that they can see their beauty. Let's tell them in these frustrated times at home, let's point out to them what they're doing that's beautiful and kind and let's them see those opportunities for whether it's the older kids creating a poem or the younger children doing a drawing and that they're sending it to an elder in the community that, you know, is lonely or a grandparent or, you know, there are so many ways that during these times we can help our children and families really put forth those very ideals and traditions that our ancestors showed us and that we have. And as Jolene says, those are the blocks of building those foundations that have created that resiliency. And I think that's really one of the great treasures to share with not only among ourselves right now, but with all peoples right now, is that ability to look out and to see that beauty and to bring it in and then to give it out as a gift to others. I agree. I agree. That's wonderful. I wanted to ask, I don't know if there's something that we should be aware of in terms of the tribal response to the pandemic in the context of how states and the federal government is handling things. What does that dynamic look like right now? Well, I've been pleased to see, at least in the Pacific Northwest, tribes like weeks ago were jumping on this and were using their sovereignty and closing their reservation borders as an example to help address this pandemic, you know, to keep their people safe. And there was a tribe up in Washington, the Lummi tribe, who weeks ago started their own facility to, you know, deal with their tribal members that were potentially become infected and, you know, if their clinic couldn't house them all. So I think that response has been very proactive. And because of social media, other tribes in other areas would see how other tribes are handling this, you know, and get ideas and do similar things as well. And I see all over social media, tribal programs, as well as urban, as well as in this community as well, like Naya and Nara coming together and cooking for elders, as an example, putting food boxes together for elders and other families and delivering them, taking toilet paper to families that need them and (laughs) really, really stepping up in in that way. Um, It's just been beautiful. And that really is an extension and a modeling of our traditional values, you know, that we care for one another, the traditional value of generosity. When we pause and just look at the responses, I mean, they are really based in our culture and it's beautiful and it's inspiring to see There's other tribal communities that have high numbers of this virus already. And so there again, when we look at communities that are already traumatized, when we look at the health disparities and when we look at public health as a whole, you know, traumatized communities are disproportionately represented with other diseases. So this particular virus has a great potential to cause much death and harm in our communities. And so we have to be super vigilant in protecting ourselves and protecting each other. And when we have close-knit communities where maybe multi-generations are living together, when we have close-knit communities that may not have access to TVs or radios or social media to even understand that we're in a pandemic, you know, we have to like work extra hard to create the awareness and then create prevention opportunities too. I wanted to ask you if you could tell us where people can find out about the Native Wellness Power Hour. You mentioned it earlier and it's online. Is it through Facebook? How can people uh, tune in? 
Yes, it's on our Facebook page, Native Wellness Institute. We go live every day. If you miss it, you can go back to our Facebook page and watch it. Or you can also go to our website, nativewellness.com, and we have all of the videos on there. We also have a YouTube channel under Native Wellness Institute, and you can go there to view them as well. And I actually have to get off because it's starting in six minutes and I need to jump on it. Jolene, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Susie, earlier you mentioned the stay-at-home toolkit that's going to be available for people. If people are interested, how do they get that? We provide a link that will be available, and that links you to quite a packet that sort of begins with an approach, especially from an Indigenous perspective, but hopefully will be relevant to others in terms of how are we looking at and talking with our children about this. And then uh, we provide as I mentioned before, developmental activities through the age range all the way through elderhood to be supportive to those multi-generational households is both activity and information-based. And hopefully it will be fun for families and children to use over time for however long we might be sequestered. But that link is available. And then people should feel very free with that link to make copies of whether it's because we have multiple coloring books and activities, art activities, science activities, et cetera, that are in there. And so it is really use uh, for people to, you know, use in any way. All right. Well, thank you so much, Susie, for joining me on the Early Link podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, the opportunity also to really learn it, you know, what you folks do. So we are grateful and we're really grateful for this opportunity to kind of create an ongoing relationship because that's what our collaborative does and wishes to be. Absolutely. Sounds great. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure that every child in Oregon has the best start in life. I'm your host, Rafael Otto. Join us and tune in on 99.1 FM on the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 4.30 p.m. Episodes are also available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org and on the Portland Radio Project website at prp.fm. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope to catch you next time.